Welcome to Coffee Table Mythos. I'm Leah. And I'm Eliza. And this week we're talking about Japanese creatures. Yes, so grab your favorite beverage and let's talk myths. Before we start, let's talk about what we're drinking. What you drinking, Leah? All right, so I have a can of La Colombe Coffee Caramel Draft Latte. And it is so good. It is. And it's only nine ounces. And I just need this to be in a much bigger container so that I can savor it more. <laughs> and anyone who knows Todd and JP, the founders, hmm, you should tell them that they should make this particular flavor into a candy so I can, like, eat it while I'm at work because I just need more of this in my life. It's so good. It's so good. I'm pretty sure the gro- the local grocery store I go to knows me for, like, buying out that specific flavor. <laughs> like, I'll go on a weekday. I'll go on a weekday just to be, like, hmm. Or, like, early morning on a weekend and, like, stash as many as I can because mm-hmm. it's always on sale right. there at that specific place. Mm-hmm. And you're like, did you get all of them today? It's like, oh, I felt bad, so I just took, like, five. <laughs> and then I come back and I get the rest of them. <laughs> the next time. Yeah, they probably just need to to recognize the pattern that it's being bought out once a week and just buy us more. Maybe we should just see if we can buy a case. A case of it. I'm pretty sure we can, actually. Yeah, that might actually be a better solution than me buying out their... Co- like, it's probably cheaper that way. Mm. It might be. I think it depends on, on what your sale is, because I think it's was kind of the amount was kind of equivalent to the bangs you get the bottle shop. Really? Mm-hmm. Which is like twelve bangs for twenty four dollars. Something like that, but they're more fluid ounces. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> so what I'm drinking is Yes, I'm sorry, what are you drinking? I am drinking the black Boonesboro coffee. Yes. What is it, what is it called? I think it's just called Eve, Eve's Eve's brand. Eve's brand. Or... Maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked at the bag. They were very protective of the bag when we got it. Listen. (laughs) In that store, that was the only thing I knew for a fact that we were definitely going to buy. Everything else I was just like, I'm not really sure. But I am yet again drinking out of, oh my gourd, it's fall mug. Even though we are still technically in summer. And it is as big as my face. And I am still very excited for the coming of the fall time. Yes. I promise next week, next week is Celtic, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so next week is going to be a little bit more Halloween-themed. Yes. When you listen to this. Dog. Dog. Anyways. (laughs) I mean, I will admit, the ones we're talking about today are basically devious... Yokai. Yokai from the Japanese folklore mythology. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in, shall we? Today, I am speaking about the Tengu. I originally was going to be talking specifically of the Karasu Tengu, and then I actually looked into it and I found out that that was the original form of the Tengu, and they just evolved over time. So I'm just going to explain the origins and how they developed, mm-hmm. essentially. Sounds good. So Tengu is a Japanese term that derives from the name of a canine Chinese folklore demon called the... I am probably going to say this wrong. The Tiangao. Maybe. Which brings war wherever it falls and makes noise of thunder. That's interesting. And it's a dog-shaped one? It's a dog-shaped one, and when I looked further into it, it's more like falling comets or stars. 
And it's the tales of that. So cool! That's what the Chinese folklore may have been referring to as that. Which I thought was kind of cool. The first Japanese written work referenced in 720 CE in the 23rd chapter of Nihon Shoki. In this version, they use the Chinese depiction of Heavenly Dog counting a shooting star, but characters describe it more like a fox. Fox! It is speculated (laughs) that the early Japanese Tengu may have represented a combination of two Chinese spirits, the Tiango and the Huijing, the fox spirits. Yay! I talked about those during the Kitsune. Yeah. Oh, you're excited? Okay. So, <laughs> very excited. So it's not clear how it went from the dog spirit to a bird, mm. but some support the theory that the Tengu's image derives from the Hindu eagle deity Garuda. In the Buddhist scripture, he, Garuda is one of the major races of non-humans. Interesting. Generally, however, it was depicted with characteristics not upheld by Garuda for not being friendly toward Buddhism. Hmm. Because Garuda was friendly toward Buddhism, and originally the Tengu were menaces. Oh, see. Yes. The Tengu are a type of yokai, supernatural beings or spirits, demons ranging from malevolent to mischievous, or occasionally bring good fortune to those who encounter them. Or Shinto kami, which are gods. Originally, Tengu thought to take forms of birds of prey with both human and avian characteristic depictions. The earliest Tengu depicted were with beaks, but also had been humanized with an unnaturally long nose, now widely used. What's that face for? Human nose or bird beak? <laughs> so, the long nose version is the human nose. Okay, So, good. you know those red, the red mask? Yes. That's what it's talking about. So, originally it was a bird beak, and then over time it went to those, ma- like, I'll tell you what the difference is. There's, like, the classes and everything to it. Yes. So, in Buddhism, Tengu were seen as disruptive demons and harbingers of war. Over time, their image softened into a more protective but still dangerous spirit of mountains and forests. Mm-hmm. Tengu were associated with ascetic or abstinence of sensual pleasure. I had to look it up for myself because I didn't know. Practice of... Shugendo, which is a religion originated in Heian, Japan, which was forbidden in 1872 by the Meiji government until after World War II when religious freedom was won of Japan between the mix of Shinto. Because it was Shugendo was a mix between Shinto and Buddhism religions. Mm-hmm. And they were the Meiji government was like, you can't fucking do that. Stop. One or the other, yeah, not a mix. Yeah, not a mix. <laughs> and then after World War II, Japan was like, yo, you can, you can do this again. So now it's, it's come back. Um, it's usually depicted in clothing of its followers, the Yamabushi. Um, the earliest representation of Tengu appear in Japanese picture scrolls. For example, the Tengozoshi Emaki, painted in 1296C, which was a parody of a high-ranking priest, or parody of high-ranking priests by endowing them with hawk-like beaks of Tengu demons. Oh, I'm sure they took that real well. Yes, it's often depicted as some form of priest with a 13th century associated with Yamabushi wearing distinctive headwear called the token and pom-pom sack. I think I've seen that in art. Due to the priest's aesthetic, often they are shown wielding the kakara, which is a staff used by Buddhist monks, which is in Japanese a shagujo? Shakujo? Mm. Uh, they are also depicted with magical feather fans, which is called the hachikuwa. In some folk tales, the fan can grow or shrink a person's nose, but usually they have the power to stir up great winds. The girl in that one anime was given one. Which one? 
the one where she, her grandfather, um, had a debt with the the yokai oh. in the other world, and so she was sold off to the guy that was in charge of the inn. Yes, I remember which one you're talking about. I don't remember the name. I can't remember it either. <laughs> so whoever is like listening to this and totally like watches anime too, you're probably yelling at us, but we do know what we're talking about. We just don't remember the name. <laughs> So, the Konjaku Monogatarishu, I probably said that wrong, it's a collection of stories in the late Heian period, 794 to 1185, was originally 31 volumes and only 28 remain today, contains some of the earliest tales of Tengu. In those works, they are troublesome opponents of Buddhism, misleading pious people with false images of Buddha, carrying, they carry off monks, and... <laughs> drop them in the remote places, possessing women to seduce holy men, rob temples, and endow their worshippers with unholy power. I'm sorry, just all of that sounds so funny. Yes, they would guise themselves as priests or not. Like, they were just, they were malicious, but they were funny about it. Caribbean punks. Yeah. <laughs> and there was always, like, I don't know if, why I didn't write this down, but they were also known to, like, set fire to things, like, temples. Mm-hmm. So if there was a fire to a temple, they were blamed for it. Aww. In the 12th century, there was a notorious Tengu that was a ghost of an emperor, Sutoku, who was forced to abandon his throne by his father. Later, Sutoku rose a rebellion to take back the country from Emperor Go Shirakawa, and he was defeated and exiled to Sanuki province in Shikoku. In the legend, Sutoku died of torment, swearing to haunt the nation of Japan as a great demon and became a fearsome Tengu with long nails and eyes like a kite's. Which, when I say eyes like a kite, I'm not talking about the kite you fly, I'm talking about the kite that's a bird, and those eyes are some piercing red crazy. If an eye like that was looking at me, I'd be like, what the heck? Anyway, 13th century tales began showing them abducting young boys as well as the priests. And the boys were often returned, and the priests were found tied up to high places or tops of trees. And when I read that, I was like, are we talking about raiders? Or... Anyway, all victims of the Tengu would come back in a state of near death or madness. Hmm. Tengu of this period were seen as ghosts of arrogant, thus associated with pride and vanity. Today, the expression in Japanese, Tengu ni naru, which means becoming a Tengu, still is used to describe a conceited person. <laughs> yeah. In the 1300s, Genpai Josuki wrote a story which tells of a god that appears to Goshirakawa and gives detailed accounts of the Tengu ghosts. They state that people fall to the Tengu road because as Buddhists, they cannot go to hell, but as people with bad principles, they cannot go to heaven. So it's like their version of like purgatory? In a way. Also, he here he gives the notion that not all Tengu are equal. For example knowledgeable men become greater tengu which is the dai tengu but ignorant men become small tengu which is the ko tengu hmm. the philosopher hayashi raza lists the greatest of dai tengu so the greatest dai tengu were the sajobo of kurama Tarobo of atago injurobo of hira demons of kurama and atago amongst most famous tengu the dai tengu were more human-like than their underlings and due to long noses human noses mm -hmm. They were, they were called the Hanataka Tengu, which means tall-nosed Tengu. Hmm. The Ko Tengu, conversely, are depicted more bird-like, also sometimes called the Karasu Tengu, which is the Crow Tengu. Thickets in the mountains during summer with lots of suboth moss and sand were known or said to be nesting grounds of Tengu. Mountain villages in Kanagawa Prefecture cut trees at night called Tengu Daoshi, which means Tengu Fall. Mysterious sounds at night 
for example, a tree being cut or falling or mysterious swaying with no wind, was said to be work of a mountain tengu. The theory was that if you shot a gun three times, it would make the sound stop. Yeah, because anybody hearing this is going to stop their nonsense yeah. and get the heck out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shasakishu, which is a book of Buddhist parables from the Kamakura period, distinguishes good versus bad tengu. Good tengu were in command of bad tengu and protectors of Buddhism, but pride and ambition made them a tengu. Hmm. In the 17th century, more stories of Tengu were less malicious and protecting and blessing Buddhist institutions instead of setting them on fire. In the 18th and 19th century, Tengus were seen as more of protectors of certain forests. So, like, over the years, they got, like, nicer... Yeah. Anyways, so, <laughs> Tengu were worshipped as beneficial kami, gods or revered spirits, in various Japanese religious cults. Many depictions of Tengu from the old days are of them as ridiculous and easily tricked or confused by humans. Mm. More so Kotengu because you have more of a worry that a Kotengu is going to devour you. Lovely. Yes. Tengu were also associated with skilled swordsmanship and martial arts. Now this kind of goes back to what you were talking about. Disputing Buddhist sects would call other sects Tengu to demonize them and imply their teachings were dangerous or deceptive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a little bit of drama over there. In the 19th century, tales of Tengu focus more on flight, which distinguishes Tengu from other yokai, because all Tengu in all of the stories have wings. Rather, they have the human face or they're more crow-like. The powers of the Tengu include, but are not limited to, mm -hmm. shape-shifting to human and animal forms, speaking to humans without moving their mouths, mm -hmm. magic to move place to place instantly without using their wings, sorcery to appear uninvited to the dreams of the living, skilled warriors, and mischief maker, and prone to playing tricks on arrogant and vain persons, punishing those who willfully misuse knowledge and authority to gain fame or position. And that's the Tengu. Alright, we're gonna break really shortly and we'll be right back. And we're back. Okay, so what you got for me this week? Alright, so... This week, I researched the Joroguma, which is spelled either J-O-R-O -O with a line over it, G-U-M-O, or J-O-R-O-U-G-U-M-O. And depending on how it's written in the kanji or the hiragana, and where in Japan it's said, depends on what the translation is. So one meaning is entangling bride while an older meaning is horse spider. And to be clear, I'm not slut-shaming this yokai. <laughs> she, <laughs> she is being true to herself and just eating horny guys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the Joragumo is a spider yokai, but not to be confused with the other spider yokai, the Suchigumo. It is said that if a spider lives to be 400 years old, it gains magical powers, the ability to shapeshift, and a desire to feed on human men instead of insects. So like a devious man-eating biako, but a spider. Sure! Okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> From my research, it appears all Jorogumo are female and that there are no males of the species. Once they are able to shapeshift, they generally take the form of a beautiful young woman. Sometimes they are depicted as fully human, 
some art shows them with a human body but spider legs protruding from their back and then others show a female head and torso with the spider's body on the lower half and then some art shows them controlling smaller spiders that can breathe fire <laughs> that's epic as though spiders aren't bad enough they can also breathe fire <laughs> what the fuck Anyway, so the Jorogumo, or Joro spider, is a nickname for a real-life spider whose Latin name is Nephila clavata, or the English translation, or the English name is the golden orb spider, which is why in art, the spider legs are almost always yellow and black, because they're based on this spider. Black and yellow, black and yellow. Sorry. <laughs> Had to do it. These orb spiders commonly grow to an inch in length for just the body, not even counting the legs, but some grow even larger. They can create webs big enough to span the distance between two trees. I just, ugh. Just the spider portion of this is getting to me. Like, I, the yokai doesn't bother me, but, like, the spider part. So would you say you're scared of spiders? It depends. Okay, so, like, if I am alone... And I have to deal with it. For me, I'm just going to peace out of there. I'm not going to play with the spider. If <laughs> there's someone else who is more scared of the spider than me, I can catch it and release it outside. See, <laughs> the mom instinct kicks in. This is how I feel about spiders. If they're taking care of mosquitoes with blood diseases like malaria and such, I would prefer to keep the spider there to eat said mosquitoes with said diseases and such. But if the spider is poisonous, take that thing and go right back where it came from. Well, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> true. But the other thing is, like, spiders can eat the mosquitoes outside. They do not need to be in the house. Usually the mosquitoes don't come in the house too much Yeah, here. but there's other things in the house. Like, I don't want to Okay, look, it, if... <laughs> if those spiders stay up in their corners... It's fine. It's when they start dangling from the middle and you, like, walk into them and they're, like, face level. Like, no. Look, you are not paying rent. You are not paying rent. You go up in your corner Dove and you eat the flies. Dova's not paying rent either. She, you know what? <laughs> That's true. And that is a big problem because she does not do chores either. Well, I think she probably thinks she's paying us in kisses and her presence. Do you know who put that in her head? You Poppy, did. no, it's not my fault. No, it's Poppy's every, fault. Every time, every time, Grandmama is like, "Well, how is she gonna pay Poppy?" And we're like, "With kisses," because that's what Poppy accepts as legal tender. Okay, fine. <laughs> we love our dog. Don't get us wrong. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so the Joro spider can be found in all parts of Japan except the northernmost island of Hokkaido. Now, I'm going to need mom and any animal lovers out there to just hum loudly for the next 10 seconds. The largest Joro spiders can catch and eat small birds. <laughs> All right, you can listen again. <laughs> so most stories of the Joro Gumo yokai come from the Edo period. This was between 1603 and 1868 when the Tokugawa shogunate ruled Japan from Edo which was later renamed Tokyo. Oh. And I actually looked that up because 
in anime a lot, you hear like, oh, this happened during the Edo period, or oh, this happened during this period. And we're not taught that here in America. I have no concept of the timelines over there. So like, I actually looked it up. Like, I remember in like seventh grade, during world history, they tried breezing over some of Japanese history. Like, we talked about how they crafted samurai swords, and I thought it was super cool, and that was about it. Like, we did not go over J- Japanese history. That is, like, such a small amount. It's a, such a tiny thing. Like, we talked about the samurai and, like, the generalization of how they, like, developed and, like, were gone away with mm-hmm. with industrialization, but, like, not about not much about the different periods that they had and stuff like that. It's, like, anime is what really kind of brought that to my attention as right. well. And it's such a rich culture. There's yeah. so much interesting stuff going on. Anyway, that was a random bunny hole we went down. My bad. Let's keep going. It's fine. (laughs) So, the spider survives to be 400 years old. She gains all of this magical ability and the desire to eat virile young men. Wonderful. She uses her shape-shifting ability to become a beautiful young woman. She finds a man that she desires, and she lures him to her nest with promises of love and other wink wink favors hey yo and he is never seen again her spider silk is strong enough to bind a full-grown male though some stories make it sound as though she can mentally bewitch the men as well meaning that sometimes they're willing to go to their death instead of having to be held by force they also have venom that can weaken the men a day at a time allowing her to relish in his suffering and eventual death oh my gosh As I mentioned earlier, they can control smaller spiders, including fire-breathing ones, (laughs) that they use to burn down the homes of anyone that becomes suspicious of them. That's, I mean, for self-preservation purposes, I can understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. But that's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Octopus. Octopus. All right. One story, and okay, so I love the name of this one because it is perfectly suited for 2020. Please tell me. The translated name is called Things That Should Be Pondered Even in Urgent Times. <laughs> Welcome to 2020. Welcome to 2020. It's been added to the list. Yes. Chorogumo is coming out of Japan. All right. So this story is about a young woman who's carrying a child in her arms, who happens upon a young warrior. She tells the child that the warrior is its father and to go embrace the man. The warrior is not tricked, however, and attacks the woman with his sword. She flees to the attic, and later they find a large orb spider dead in the attic. They used a different measurement, but it's almost, it's like 11.9 inches. It's so close to a foot, and basically the spider was about two feet long. (gasps) But it was fully spider-shaped. And that dead orb spider was surrounded by all the bodies of the young men that had fallen for her ploy. Oh my gosh. Another tale was called How Magoroko Was Deceived by a Yorogumo. Sorry, Jorogumo. I'm putting the Y's from the Norse language into... I'll go in the other way. The problems with the multiple different languages. Like, it just meshes in the brain. (laughs) We'll eventually get there recounts how Magoroko was resting on his veranda in Takata, Shasuku, when a middle-aged woman came to him. She told him how her daughter had fallen in love with him and invited him back to her home. 
When he arrived, a 16-year-old girl asked him to marry her. He was already married and so declined. But okay, why are you going to some girl's house when you are already married? Just decline on the spot. Stay at your house. Don't go there. Don't even go. The girl persisted, telling him how he had almost killed her mother two days prior, but she still wanted to marry him. Very confused. He left abruptly. As he ran away, their estate disappeared, and he found himself back on his own porch. His wife told him that he had been sleeping there the whole time. Deciding it was only a dream, he noticed a Joro spider in the eaves above and recalled how he had driven one away two days before. The last Jorogumo has a few stories about her. She is called the Mistress of Joran Falls, Ooh. which is a waterfall on Mount Amagi. <gasps> <laughs> the local legend says that a man was resting besides the waterfall basin when webs attached to his legs and tried to pull him into the basin. But the man attached the webs to a log and it was pulled into the water instead of him. After that, the villagers stayed away from the waterfall. Then, one day, a visiting woodcutter that was not familiar with the story decided to cut down a tree near the waterfall. He accidentally dropped his axe in the water. And when he went to retrieve it, a beautiful young woman returned it to him and told him to never speak of her to another person. He kept the secret for a few days, but it began to wear on him. One night at a banquet, he got drunk and told the other partygoers about the woman. Afterward, feeling unburdened and at peace, he went to sleep and never woke up again. Dang. But also, you're like the one person that didn't immediately get eaten. You should have kept your mouth shut and you would have lived. <laughs> True story. In another version, he was pulled outside during the party. Like, as soon as he said it. He was pulled outside by an invisible spider's thread. And the next day, his body was found floating in the basin of Joran Falls. Well, didn't keep his promise. Mm-hmm. In a third version... The woodcutter fell in love with the woman at the falls and keeps returning to see her each day. But each day he grows weaker. And Osho, a Buddhist priest from the nearby temple, suspects that he's been seduced by the Jorogomo mistress of the falls and goes with the woodcutter to the falls to chant a sutra. When a spider's thread reached for the woodcutter, the Osho shouted and the thread disappeared. Even though the woodcutter now had proof that the woman was a yokai, intent on killing him. He still wished to marry her. He asked the mountains Tengu. That was not intentional, guys. <laughs> that was like the last story I read. And I was like, I wonder if this is one of Eliza's Tengu. And it was. <laughs> he asked the mountains Tengu for permission to marry her. And he was denied. The woodcutter ran towards the waterfall, became entangled in the webs, and disappeared into the water. While most of the stories paint the Jorogumo as a villain, in Kashikobuchi, the Jorogumo is worshipped as a goddess who protects people from drowning. Huh. There is still a monument and tori at the location in her honor. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. In today's world, there have not been any recent encounters. All of them are dated to basically the Edo period. Mm. However, the Jorogumo appears in animes like Holic, Yokai Watch, Rosarian Vampire, and more. Oh, yeah. And then they're even in games like Dark Souls and Okami, which I am currently playing. 
I may have got you into that. It is so beautifully rendered. Like, I just, I love the art. The whole purpose is that, like, the land is, um, is cursed. And you're playing as the Mother Earth goddess, but you're in the form of a white wolf. wolf. A Matarasu. Mm-hmm. And you go to the different areas of the map and cleanse the area. And when it gets cleansed, flowers just bloom in like a wave and water jumps out of the water. It's like really a little pretty. Fountain. It's yeah. so beautiful. And I'm so glad they remastered it because it was originally for like PlayStation 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I played it back. I originally played it back in uh, college when I was living down south. Yeah. Well, see, I was... <laughs> I had a very tiny TV, and I did not appreciate it the way I get to appreciate it now with you playing it without being much, a much bigger screen. I just cannot get over how beautiful it is. I will be honest, though. My left thumb, which is the joystick you have to use when you're drawing, you, when you're drawing on the game, is like <laughs> dying from how many circles I have to draw. Because <laughs> one of the things is you use, you use a circle, which is like the spell to make something bloom. On, like, trees and, and stuff. Right. And I can't say they're good circles. But they're their but circles. They're circles. <laughs> they're circles. And the game sees it as such. <laughs> but it's it's awesome. Like, I highly suggest anyone... Are we playing it on? X, uh, Xbox One. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyone who has that should look into that game. Because it is so good. And it's called Okami. Yep. And it's been remastered as Okami HD. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank yep. you. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's in games like that. And then it's also, the Jorogumo has also been on TV shows like Grimm and Doctor Who. Cool. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just defeated that boss in uh, Okami, which I did not know how to do, so I had to look it up. And the yeah. last, um, the last like, quote, walkthrough of it was done on the original game. Yep. And apparently they added a couple different attacks on like the newer game so I was just running around <laughs> screaming really quietly <laughs> screaming quietly like <laughs> trying to figure out what to do because it was not not what you expected <laughs> no yeah I'm pretty sure I also had to look up a walkthrough when I originally played it on PlayStation mm -hmm. and I was just like this is difficult <laughs> like I can't, I can't I am not gonna say that I am above looking at walkthroughs when I find something way super difficult. Yeah, it wasn't exactly intuitive. Like, I don't right. know, at least for this boss, I don't know how the original person figured it out. I don't either. Like, whoever... I know that they used to come out with game walkthrough books. books. themselves, yeah. We had those yeah. for Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I used to get those for, like, Spyro mm -hmm. and stuff, because, yes, I am a Spyro lover. I've been playing Spyro since I was five. And Crash Bandicoot, although Crash Bandicoot, I did more so of like the cheat codes. Also the cheat codes for Spyro. Right. Yeah. yeah. But games since, like, I still will go online and look, walk through sometimes. Do they even, I don't think they actually publish those anymore. I don't, it's well, just no, like, they do. Oh, do they? They do, but they're like more intensive books and you actually like go to bookstores to buy them. Oh. Yeah. Maybe that's why I haven't seen them. Yeah, like, if you go to, I think Barnes & Nobles might still have a section, mm. but it's over by, like, not where you'd think it'd be, if that makes any sense. A lot of things in there are not where I think they'd be. <laughs> like, when we were, okay, <laughs> I gotta make an, I have to talk about this for a second. So we went to Barnes & Noble, I wasn't, like, which is a bookstore, I don't know if it's everywhere in the world, but it's definitely in the U.S. We went looking for, I was looking for, like, books on the occult, where there was, like, 
different werewolves and stuff. Like, there's, for example, the podcast Lore, which we are not sponsored by, and we are not affiliated affiliated (laughs) with them by, by any means. But, like, they made books based off of the creatures that they talked about. And I was looking for those books to to read, and they're not in, like, the religious section or the regular fiction section. They have it in the, what was it called? Like, it was like Spiritual Awakening or something. (laughs) Like, some weird category, and it was in a place that you wouldn't think by, like, where the business and study guide books were, and the cookbooks, and I was like... What the? <laughs> so it was like those, and then it was like all these tarot cards, and then it was like how to reach your higher self. Yeah, and they it's were like, just all together, and I was like, "Is this just maybe they just needed a miscellaneous place yeah. to put it?" But like in other Barnes and Nobles I've been into, and other bookstores I've been into, they actually have a better subsection title mm-hmm. and placing for those type of things, other than that specific Barnes and Nobles we were in. Yeah. Anywho, sorry, little tangent. <laughs> May I please also add the fact that we finally got liquid nails yes! on the acoustic foam. foam. The audio quality hopefully is a little bit more improved because before we tried using <laughs> these very sad adhesive stickers mm-hmm. and decided. the foam was just falling left and right. Like literally as we were talking. They would just fall off, and it was like, up oh, there, there goes, goes another, another one. one. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm sure you've been just like editing all of that those like comments out while we've been in the middle of <laughs> recording some of them. Yes. Yeah, but we finally we looked up what other people like real people instead of what like the company suggested you use because that's why yeah. you bought the stickers in the first place. Yeah. And we looked up what people were like. If those don't work, use this, and those have worked. The the liquid nails, nails. has worked so much better. And it's so much cheaper. It's literally like less than two dollars at Home Depot. <laughs> right. So like, now we have like the rest of the four hundred stickers. What are we going to use them for? We have no idea. But maybe another project. Who knows? That's true. I'll I'll find a use for them. I'll make this known. Our house is basically like a mini art gallery. Every part of it's like art. Even our kitchen table was done with acrylic, acrylic paint, dirty it's, pour. Mm-hmm. And we like took the wood cracks and we filled it with was it a pearl pearl paint pearl paint and it's really pretty not that we see it because that's my watercolor studio right now yeah we don't even actually use our table for for eating on we use it for art for art like a lot of our art supplies are there sorry <laughs> it's okay there's lots of bunny burrows in this yeah in this one it's just it's this is going to be a significantly longer one than the past two episodes probably oh sad news my my can of coffee is empty oh no would you like some of my... No, I have some left in my cup. Oh, that's that's good. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. All right. So that was our Japanese week. Yep. So this is our reminder section. Everyone, make sure to check out our art for this week's creatures on our Instagram at Coffee Table Mythos. If you want to share any art of your own, make sure to use our hashtag Coffee Table Mythos so we and our followers can check them out. As always, if you have any stories or requests, please email us at coffeetablemythos at gmail.com. And remember to mention if you want a shout out of either a name or handle and where to find you or if you would like to remain anonymous. You can also find us at our new Facebook page, Coffee Table Mythos. You can message us on here as well. Also, check out our merch on Teespring at teespring.com slash store slash coffee dash table dash mythos. We are adding more listings as we research more creatures and make more art. 
If you would like to donate to us, you can on anchor.fm slash coffee table mythos, or you can become a patron through patreon.com slash coffee table mythos. We do now also take European currency, <laughs> mm -hmm. such as pounds and euros. For right now, all donations will go to making this podcast better. Thank you so much for listening. Please give us a like, follow, subscribe, and share and review our podcast if you have the time. We are interested in what you have to say. This is Coffee Table Mythos. We'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.